Our high school guidance counselor used to ask us what you would do if you had a million dollars. Didn't have to work. And then invariably, whatever you'd say, that was supposed to be your career. So if you wanted to fix old cars, then you're supposed to be an auto mechanic. So what did you say? I never had an answer. I guess that's why I'm working at Inatech. No, you're working at Inatech because that question is bull to begin with. If everyone listened to her, there'd be no janitors because no one would clean up if they had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Talking about millions of dollars. What would you do if you had a million dollars? I'll tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man. We're living in a material world and I am a material girl. Or boy. Well, what about you now? What would you do? Besides two chicks at the same time? Oh, yeah. Nothing. Nothing, huh? I would relax. I would sit on my ass all day. I would do nothing. Well, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing, man. Take a look at my cousin. He's broke. Don't do If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Well, I'm back to and Jacks. I'm Tom Howell. And Andrew on the board. As soon as he gets my mic on. Uh, S&P futures down two. NASDAQ futures up 36. Dow futures down 54. Andrew, something's not right. You're, you're coming through here. It's on. You're not coming through back to my, my headphones. So something's off over there. Um, anyway. How's your lip reading skills? Um, they're okay. Um, I can hear you <laughs> fine. How are you? You, you sound I'm, fine, actually. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm good. I, I, I love this system. Uh, this is a lot better. Although it's, it's a little bit tricky, and we have, have to keep sending people new uh, meeting things every day. Not sure why that is, but uh, um, it is. But uh, it, it, everybody sounds better, and we're we're getting the hang of it, shall we say? So yeah, a couple we're, of glitches, uh, but we're, uh, we're, we're catching up. the The good thing, the good thing is that uh, we can do these do this by audio. You don't have to look at a picture of me at uh, four forty five in the morning. Um, you got to be like, who's the guy? Was it uh, Imus or something? He wore a big cowboy hat and all the other stuff, and you know, you're good to go. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, I'm in a I'm in a fairly dark uh, bedroom right now looking outside at the uh, snow falling in Denver after a 70 degree day yesterday so I'm pretty sure I'm not too photogenic well that's uh, that, that that happens you know um, what can we say what I uh, I continue to be astounded Lou and I don't even know where to to start with you as my is my everyman thing although I did it was with my attorney buddies last night and judges there was a big big group of them and they're of course telling some stories. One of them I got to tell you, though. One of the guys represented, uh, this is years ago, right? Like many, many years ago. Represents a uh, a guy who's a, a little person, shall we say. Midget. And he's known and he's known as the transom burglar. Back when people had transoms, he would get through the... Yeah, he, crawl he, through the top tra- of the door. Yeah. yeah. So they get, they bring him up to the front where the judge is, and the judge goes... Well, where is he? Well, he's down here. <laughs> below, below where the judge was. So he says, you know, this is really kind of strange. How, how could you be the transom burglar? He goes, how do you even get up there? He says, okay. So, Judge, I'll tell you what. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you off for lack of evidence. He says, but uh, there's a transom right there. So my attorney buddy goes... The guy takes one look at the transom, races over, somehow jumps kind of like up where he catches like the doorknob or something. Yeah, grabs does, the doorknob, does, sure. a, does a quick chin up, and he's out the transom in like, it may be like 10 seconds, and the judge is like, wow. <laughs> he doesn't let the guy off. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, that, that that's a 
that's a Fifth Amendment violation right there. Show me, show me how you did it. You know, I mean, that's, <laughs> but he already, he already told me let him go. Interest. He already told me yeah. let him go, and he was good to his yeah. word. He could change their minds pretty quickly. Trust me. Oh God, that's, yeah. This so, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask since, uh, since it's Thursday and uh, the big dance is kicking off today. Who do you have in your final four? Um, you know, this has got to be one of the tougher years. I, every team I, I like, Lou has an injury. I mean, uh, uh, you know, UCLA I thought might get there, but now I'm not so sure. Uh, I, I think, you know, the, the Kansas Purdue. I don't know. I think Purdue gets beat. I went to uh, I went chalk on all of the final four teams except for one, and you can guess which one. Duke, Duke. I actually I, have a, one of the, one of my buddies last night was telling me that Duke is their their winner. Uh they're not. Well, I don't know. They they have not demonstrated, uh, you know, that kind of consistency over a over a, a long run. But we'll see. I mean, I mean, certainly. Certainly, they are playing their best basketball right now. I mean, they went through, they went through the tournament, uh, the ACC tournament. You know, I won't say I won't say without any problems, but fairly comfortably. And and they, this this kid, you know, I'm I'm, uh, I would think people in Chicago would be rooting for Duke because of Shire, um, who who you know was Mister Basketball for Illinois when he was. Uh, when he was playing there and who has got these guys playing defense you know they were he got them playing defense first and then and then let the offensive stuff start to take care of itself um but they are a uh they're a pretty good defensive basketball team now watch i've jinxed them now oh, yeah. um, well you know i don't think anybody wants to play marquette because they, they that really pressure defense they play with seven eight guys Yep. is real tough to deal with because most people are used to having the you know the 30 second offense and all of a sudden you've got the 22 second offense you know 20 times a game and, and I, exactly and and you know so so duke's variation of that is is a little bit sort of they've taken up they've taken a page i think out of what's his face at virginia and and that is they've got they've got you know two seven footers on the floor at one time uh one of whom is a is a terrific shot blocker, and the other, who shoots three point shots, like he's a guard, and uh, and is a is a pretty pretty effective ball handler. Um, well, well, he was the this kid Filipowski was the ACC Rookie of the Year and the ACC Most Valuable Player at the tournament. So, so we'll see. You know, we'll we'll see. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. I have, as I said, I've got him as a Final Four team. I I my bracket. Which I'm just keeping for my own edification. Uh, I didn't pick a winner yet, but uh, but you know I get to I get to if I figure if I get to the final four teams I'm I'm doing pretty good. But I I don't I don't see anybody beating Alabama, um, notwithstanding the you know gun thug or whatever they've got on the on their starting lineup. And, well, they're uh, they're pretty tough. I mean, uh, Kansas yeah. is pretty tough. Texas is pretty tough. But you Houston. know, it, but like I was listening to the Illinois coach this morning, or I was picking up Android. He goes, you know, it's not like we can't beat anybody. We beat UCLA. We beat. We we, we went to the last second with with Texas. I mean, it's not like anybody anybody doesn't want. Everybody was is dying to play us. You know, I mean, there is there is nobody, and I, I think you're right. I think this is a particularly tough year. There there is no one or even two teams that you can point to 
that you would say, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure these guys can these guys can do it. Every everybody showed weakness. Everybody's got injuries, uh, except for Duke. Duke got all their injuries yeah. up front the first part of the year. Um, but every everybody else seems to have a seems to have a key loss on a player. Um, Bama Bama does not. Uh, I don't think Houston does. Um, Kansas looks like they're hurting a little bit, but it it could be it could be a really entertaining a really entertaining tournament. Well, I'll, you know, you know what's odd? I mean, I don't I don't normally since I watched all the I stopped watching all the police shows on TV because it's such BS because they don't do anything. It's uh, like watching your it's like watching your finance guys on, on CNBC. Yeah. Well, I mean, you sit there and they they, they actually care about catching people. So you, you know, I'm so so over that because obviously it's not what that's what's happening here in Chicago. But I mean, a few guys I think are dedicated. But but the uh, I've been watching all this basketball and I can't get over, especially since every time I'm with my neighbor, we're, we're somehow in front of a Marquette game because I sure as hell can't get him over to a Notre Dame game. Nobody wants to watch that. Uh, the Big East. I mean, if, if you don't draw blood, they don't blow the whistle. I mean, it, it, it is so much rougher than, say, the Pac-10. It's not even the same planet of basketball. And and why and why do you suppose that is? I don't because know. It's just the Big Ten is pretty. Big Ten is pretty physical, right? But the Big East is like it's always been like that. I mean, they, they just. I mean, if, if you don't, if you don't know, some guy's head doesn't hit the hit the the floor. There's there's no. You never get a call on a drive. I mean, it's like it's like playing street ball. Yeah, I I, um, I I agree with you. I think you're absolutely right. I and I don't I don't understand it. And in fact, I think that's one of the reasons why Virginia um, was such a, a powerhouse um, when they changed over to this defensive strategy. You know, they if you play Virginia and you score sixty points, that's a you know that's a pretty good game. Yeah. Uh, for for you know for your offense. Um, Virginia started playing just a much tougher kind of defense, and I don't think the rest, you know, the rest of the ACC, which for better or worse, because they had such, you know, such athletic players, tended not to not to be that kind of a of a league. But but Virginia has has really um, has really sort of demonstrated the efficacy of that, and the fact that the the officials will let them play. So I I, I just wonder if why do people say they'll let them? Turning. Why do people say, out of all the all the sayings in the world, and you just said it, that uh, why why do people say let them play? They really mean let them hack. Yeah, yeah. Play, you know, play. I mean, I mean, I mean, I I, I got into an argument one time because, you know, when Shashevsky was there, it was the deal was Duke always got the benefit of foul calls, you know, and, and I, I hear guys saying, well, you know, that was a that was a ticky tack foul, and I said, but it was a foul. Yeah. Okay. As long as they're calling, and I don't, I don't ask. You know, I'm a guy who's, I'm a guy who's, you know, family grew up in pro football, and and the only thing my father ever asked out of officials was consistency. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna let people get knocked down and stuff like that on the basketball floor, that's fine, but let me knock them down too. You know, as long as long as as long as you establish up front that you're going to consistently not call stuff on both teams, then then I don't think you can really ask for. Well, nothing is nothing is worse, Lou. And I played in all these park leagues, right? Nothing is worse when you get two refs, and the guy on one end is calling yep. everything, and the guy on the other end is calling nothing. And you're like, "All right, it's time for you two idiots to switch." Yeah, guys, <laughs> even this. Guys, yeah, well, it's like having the wind, you know, in a in a football uh, a football game. Yeah. Speak, 
speaking of which, I, I want to just acknowledge the passing of uh, my my uh, friend and a guy that that you know my father maintained a professional relationship with from 1956, which is when I believe he played at Winnipeg, until he passed away in 2019, and that's uh, that's Bud Grant. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but died uh, died uh, on uh, Friday. Yeah, I saw that. He's like ninety six, ninety five, ninety five. Good guy. Um, you know, if you ever, if you ever doubt the impact of a pro sports franchise on a on a place, especially a place like like Minnesota, where you know there there just isn't, you know, there isn't a huge amount of of other entertainment options. Um, but if you ever doubt the impact of that, watch, you know, take a look at what's happening up there and the um, the the sense of community that evolved around those Viking teams when when Bud was coaching um, is is you know it's tangible, it's palpable. Um, the the fact that you know it, it literally is the end of an era now that he's now that he's gone, and and the. Uh, we would call it a brand now, but the brand that Bud established with uh, those teams and with his his own personal coaching philosophy was uh, was something that that you know really resonated with the people of of uh, Minnesota. You know, and he was a Minnesota native. He was he was um, I can't remember what Native American tribe he was a member of, but um, you know he. He, he epitomized he epitomized the way especially the way Minnesotans much like people in Chicago like to think about themselves as you know these outdoor hardy outdoor you know outdoorsman types but bud legitimately was a hardy outdoorsman type I mean he he would put the snowshoes on in the winter after the season was over and go out and shoot you know track and track you know elk or moose or bear or whatever and you know and shoot him hunt him he was an expert fisherman he taught me how to how to cast uh when uh when when i would go out fishing he my my father and i would go out fishing with them um he he really was that kind of guy and and pushed you know you don't hear you don't hear a lot of coaches doing this now bud bud pushed for a standard of mental toughness he was much more interested in sort of mental toughness because he he believed with the mentally the mental toughness comes the physical toughness um but he pushed for that kind of me- mental toughness on on the, those teams and and discipline you know van brocklin had been norm van brocklin had been the coach prior to that and 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 van brocklin was probably just as happy to see somebody start a fight on the field as he was seeing a, a really good play run you know bud bud had none of that um the the comment by by Jim Klobuchar, who was the Star Trib's superb sports writer uh, and the father of uh, Amy Amy Klobuchar, but but Klobuchar made the comment that when Bud came down, they called him a, a they they referred to him as a a cold front coming down from Canada because he and my father had played and coached at Winnipeg, and and Klobuchar said that you know the the, the change between you know Van Brocklin who was a screamer. And Bud, who who basically just sort of folded his arms and looked at you, if if you made a mistake, uh, it was as if Ivan the Terrible had been replaced by Calvin Coolidge, <laughs> <laughs> which is just one of the great one of the great images that I've 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 always sort of carried in my head when uh, 
because when we arrived down there, I have very clear memories of coming down from Canada. Uh, Bud was a Bud was a legendary coach in in the CFL. Um, I remember coming down and and you know reading the stories in the paper. The press the press just did not know what to make of him. Um, he he had uh, I, I, you'll you'll find this story in a number of places. The first training camp that I that I worked at was in was in 1967, and um, I I just have a distinct memory of uh, Bud taking two of the guys who had been on National Guard duty you know because Vietnam of course was still going on oh, so God, these, yeah, guys yeah. Were, these guys were National Guardsmen they had they had trained with the National Guard their National Guard unit for two weeks and and one of them was a tight end and I've dumped his name now it may have been Beasley but but Bud had them you know before the first preseason game had them get everybody and stand in a, in a line on the sidelines with their helmets under their under their left arms and stand at attention for the national anthem. And Bud said, this is what we're going to do. And the players thought, this is ridiculous. And yet, when they did it, it, it took the NFL, they did it for every game, and it took the NFL, you know, maybe three quarters of a season, maybe, half, maybe, a, maybe it was the full season. But the NFL, the following, you know, very shortly afterwards, said, all right, everybody stop standing around scratching yourselves. You, you want to look like the way the Vikings look. And they, you know, it became it became a rule that players stood for the national anthem on, on the sidelines. They didn't stand at attention like the Vikings did, but but they would they would stand, you know, on the sideline more or less, you know, paying attention to the to the anthem as it played. Well, Lou, uh, I get uh, all this stuff from this, uh, well, I read a lot of stuff, but this Cora group, they send all these questions to people, and it's always these questions about the greatest coaches and this and that and there's there's like two almost like two factions one is people who have really played a lot of sports I mean I don't I didn't play the organized stuff that you did but I played a lot of amateur stuff and and there's people who who haven't <laughs> in my opinion and, and the people who have realize that if you've got seven and seven talent and the coach gets the best out of those people and you go nine and five He's one hell of a coach, even though he didn't necessarily win. Yeah. Th- then there's other people who say all you do is count the championships, and if they don't if they don't make it to the end, somehow they got out coached. Then you'll be somebody to somebody will send a question in if if Larry Bird was so good, how come he didn't win seven championships? And the answer will be, well, because of Magic Magic Johnson. <laughs> they had other teams that were spectacular as well, and any little thing that happened, an injury or whatever. The guys were, were they were neck and neck, and you you weren't going to win. Same question could be if Magic Johnson was so good, how come he didn't win seven championships? It'll say because of Larry Bird. You know, I mean, it, it I mean, when he got to the Super Bowl, they had to play Kansas City. Kansas City had a lot better, more talent than than, than the Vikings. I think. yeah, that first that first one well, and 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 that was a that was a really good Viking team too. Yeah. I mean, that defense that defense in '69 was was stunningly good, but. But yeah, uh, you you were up against. I don't think I don't think anybody had a real appreciation of the talent differential, and and that was the story for, you know, after Green Bay, that was the story, for, you know, what a decade. Well, the, the, AF, the, the AFC had better had more talent. The, but the Vikings had a, a really solid offensive line, but they didn't have, never went up against Curly Culp and Buck Buchanan or else. They had, they had monsters on that team. Yeah, Curly, yeah, there were there were. Hall of Fame. There are a lot of Hall of Fame players on those teams. Well, I, again, I, I think that just 
like I said, I think that reflected um, that reflected the talent differential. I don't think people understood how how big that was. I mean, um, you know, and, and the Vikings uh, were were one of the more innovative offenses in in the NFL. I mean, you if you go back and look at what Jerry Burns, who was the offensive coordinator, had been at Green Bay was putting in in 1969 and 1970, you were looking at a West Coast offense. I was a pretty good buddy with his, his son, Mike. He was on a, yeah. on a, on a oh, yeah. he traded in the OEX with me. He was a, a really good golfer. And I think he was a pretty, really good racquetball player too. Yep. Yep. I knew, I knew Mike growing up. And, and so um, anyway, Bud, you know, Bud's passing is being marked by, uh, by a, a lot of, of, you know, reminiscing and, and, you know, Discussions about legacy and everything else. Was well, there anybody left from the coaching staff? I mean, when you get to one of the problems of being making it to ninety-five, even in good health, is you don't have a whole lot of friends left. I don't. I don't believe there are any of the coaches that were with him initially are alive anymore. And, and as I said, my father, my father played for Bud. This is what's really funny. My father played for Bud in 1956 with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. That was the end of his his pro career. Was was playing in the CFL because he'd blown his knee out uh, when he was playing with the Eagles, and and he played played a year for Bud, maybe two years. What, what did a, what did a, a knee fix? Um, what did they even do in 1956? They just put they didn't even operate. They just put a cast on no, with it. No, they put they put. They put a cast on it until you could walk on it, and then and then they told you to walk around, and you were pretty much responsible for your own rehab program. But I mean, nothing. Uh, an ACL never went ice, back together. No ice and tape. Yeah, you know. Um, so so, my father played. I think two seasons for him. They they went to the uh, the CFL championships, and then my dad my dad went down to coach at at uh, Texas A and M for a year, and he was coaching down there. And you know, Bud Bud Colt called him and said, "Hey, hey, John, you remember?" You know, remember me? Like come, yeah, remember <laughs> me? Want to come back up here and coach? And uh, that was they went. They were we were there for eight years. He went to they went to six CFL championships. And well, your four. dad must have realized your or your bud must have realized your dad was like a coach on the field that understood why he was doing stuff, not just doing it because people told him to do it. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and 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 also you know he and he and Bud shared the same kind of coaching philosophy, which was. Look, we try not to. And my father, my father was a was a I won't say a screamer, but he was a yeller, and he would talk to people. But but he and Bud both agreed that you don't shame players in front of the other players, and what you try to do is create a mentality. And, and this is true today. You'll hear players say this today, to create a mentality, a team mentality, so that the coaches almost have to say nothing. You know, when people screw up, oh, yeah. the coaches, yeah. the coaches, the, the the teammates, your teammates come to you and say that was a mistake, don't do it again. You know, or or and then and then once that happens, the your your teammates don't even have to say anything because you know you screwed up. Well, we got to go to break. When we come back. Let's talk a little bit about not not just the banking stuff, but people's reactions and people's knowledge and the in the Twitter stuff, and it's all kind of ties together. And we also got to talk a little bit about the drone, obviously. Yeah, let's, SP, talk about, so let's still talk about, about airspace. <laughs> yeah, SP Futures down 11, NASDAQ Futures down to, up 28, so we're mixed this morning. But the big news, obviously, is Credit Suisse, they're getting a Swiss bank loan of like $50 billion. So the shares are up 20%. Of course, 
Remember, when you're down 24% and you come back up 20, you're not at the same spot. Just get, remember your third grade math. Be right back, Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Hello and welcome back to Station Jackson. I'm Tom Arnold. We're on the board. SP Futures down 9. NASDAQ Futures up 30. The Dow Futures down 135. Uh, individual stocks in the Dow that are causing that. Goldman Sachs down another buck 30. We've got Honeywell down 94. Uh, McDonald's down a buck 33. Just not, not, not a sea of red. Uh, just everything's down a little bit. J, JP Morgan is uh, 
only down 26 cents. We got the KRE, which is the regional bank index, is down 64 cents, so that's you know maybe a percent. Um, not nothing huge though. Um, we're actually, I was actually trying to do some stuff yesterday in some of these smaller banks, and I don't know. I don't. We'll see how that works out. Uh, over in Europe, we've got now again the big news today is Credit Suisse uh, shares are way up as they, uh, the announcement is that the uh, the Swiss Central Bank is going to loan them uh, 50 billion dollars in various ways. Uh, 54 billion Swiss National Bank. So <clears throat> some of it's a borrowing. Who knows if ever paid back? The usual routine, but they basically have been backstopped, which I think we all kind of knew was going to happen. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX up 49. These guys were down yesterday. Uh, that's 0.3 percent. FTSE up 51.7 percent. CAC around up 44.6. So not not <clears throat> dramatically. Uh, there, as it says here, the European markets cautiously higher. In Asia, we've got the Nikkei. Now, these guys were up yesterday before all this stuff happened. Nikkei down 218.8 percent. Uh, Hang Seng down 335.1.7 percent. Almost under 19,000. 19,203. Shanghai down 36.1.1 percent. Uh, yesterday in the U.S., we came back huge from what we were talking about yesterday morning. One point, the S&Ps were down 81. They uh, Dow down closed down 28. 280, sorry. S&P down 27. Far cry from the 81 low. Nasdaq actually finished up five points. So it's a huge comeback in the afternoon after I had this thing with uh, the Swiss National Bank was sort of leaking around, leaking around. Uh, U.S. Treasuries down five base points, under 3.5 at 3.44. Remember, was it last Friday we were over four? So that's a big move. The Bund has made a comeback temp, uh, to 2.24. That's up uh, 13 basis points. Japan is uh, at 33.33. Um, we have gold is down 360, but still 1927. So they've had a run. Uh, silver up 21 cents, 2209. We've got uh, copper up three cents, 387. We've got oil. Get a look at this, 67.36, down 25 cents, Brent down 14 cents, 73.55, natural gas up 5 cents, 2.49, and uh, maybe, maybe the oil stocks, maybe you want to look at, maybe, uh, again, maybe on all that stuff, because you never know, you know, you don't want to pick a bottom type of thing, because sometimes you just catch the wrong knife the wrong way. Bitcoin up 478, 24,852, and we've got uh, the dollar, it's kind of mixed, it's down a little bit against zero. Euro's at 106, and it's up a little bit against the pound. Pound at 120. A lot of stuff here. What do you got for us, traffic weather sports? Bulls lose. Bulls lose. Yes, they do. Uh, starting off with that last night, the Bulls played against the Kings, losing 117 to 114. Uh, but over in hockey, well, can't always look forward to the Blackhawks winning no. either. Uh, but tomorrow, they're going to be playing at 7 p.m. The Blackhawks are going to be playing the Predators. And the Canucks are going to be playing the Coyotes. You can hardly wait. The Hawks are <laughs> So excited for that. But yeah. uh, with Chicago weather, we're currently at 39 degrees. Going to have a high of 47 today. Uh, mostly clear skies. We're going to have a bit of cloud and maybe a bit of rain later today. Uh, over in Phoenix, they're at 53 degrees. Mostly clear skies. They're going to have a high of 69 today. Now, finally, for Chicago traffic, uh, inbound traffic is building on the major expressways. Only one uh, out-of-the-ordinary uh, thing to note, which is an accident out on the Stevenson on inbound near Cass Avenue. Uh, it's causing pretty heavy delays up to 20 minutes out uh, near Lamont Road and Cass Avenue. So, other than that, it's basically business as usual. So, Lou, if you were driving around in Chicago traffic yesterday, all you heard about is this pothole. It opened up on the bridge of the Stevenson over Route 53. It's a big pothole, of course. There's a big, you know, on a on a bridge. 
Yeah. So Yikes. That, yeah, so not good. So, uh, you know, I went the rebar or something must have been exposed, everything. So they decide to get out there, and you see all these pictures of these guys, you know, reconcreting the whole area. Well, somehow or another, and these guys that do concrete are usually, like, really good at this. Somehow or another, they they must have not put, either either got the wrong weather report, like I did the other day. I thought it was be 50. I wore the wrong jacket. It turned out it was 35. So either they got the same report I did. Well, they must have used the wrong concrete or something. So the thing, the stuff is not setting up because it's too cold. So, what, so what do you think they have to do the next day? They build a hut, and warm the hut so they, they so they can warm the concrete. So, so I, I was going to say they dump charcoal in it. I I saw this in Minneapolis when when there was building going on in the winter time. You would see them pour. A concrete the the builders would like for a house they they pour the concrete form for the basement, but then they would dump red hot charcoal. They would start a charcoal fire and then dump the coals on top of the concrete to keep it to keep it warm enough so that it would set properly. So I was going to guess that. Or what what's the trick they do at Metro? They pour kerosene on the on, you know yeah. just liquid kerosene onto the rails and set it on fire. Oh, the switches, yeah, yeah, the switches actually works. So, yeah. So let, let's let's talk since I don't know anything about banks. Let's talk right, let me, about let me, here's the, the thing that's it's horrifying to me, Lou, and this is what it's always part of the of the uh, I'll say discussion. I won't say argument uh, between those that that are against higher education at the price it is now, and I certainly understand the arguments and the idea that people should just get a skill set, be it a welder, be whatever it is, and, and make your money, and that should be it. And and I and I'm always from one. I would like the the population to be very well educated, no matter what you do. I don't I don't care if you're a welder. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't know what a money supply is, or what doesn't don't know how, don't know how to read a book. I mean, it's uh, I, some of the most intelligent people I ever met work for Pullman and, and blue collar jobs. I mean, I, there was one didn't transfer over to the other. But the, the the amount of crap I'm hearing about the banking system this week and what people are listening. To various people talk, and this bank's no good, and these moral hazards and stuff. And if it's not insured, why why are we bailing these people out? Lou, does anybody have any kind of clue on how this system even works? But I'll ask you guys, you and Andrew, how how much money do you think are in commercial deposits in in the, all the U.S. commercial banks? Uh, maybe twenty trillion, sixteen, twenty trillion. Uh, 16, pretty damn close, seventeen point six four. Okay. How much do you think the FDIC has for the insurance, the the opiate of the people, the pablum of the people, $250,000 on insurance in the bank? How many accounts or how, how much? much how much, what's, what's their the, total? The value. What's the total of that? that is, oh, the FDIC, maybe, 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 okay, so at, the, at Silicon Valley Bank, it was something like 10%. No, so I mean, I'm the FDIC say. has $100 billion <laughs> as, as opposed to $17 trillion. So it's it's just a number, and yes, if, if are you quote insured, if one bank goes under and you know and you're some God knows where you are some, it doesn't make people feel good. Uh, I mean PTI, I mean everybody has SIPIC here, two hundred fifty thousand. Uh, but does anybody actually think that those insurance things are the backstop of the system? God, you, nobody can be that dumb. I won't say dumb. Nobody can be that ill informed. 
Well, and yet apparently, apparently not just you know not just average uh, doofuses like myself were misinformed. You know, the the chief risk officer at at the Silicon Valley Bank apparently didn't didn't have an understanding of, of what that you know what that number was. I, what I found, and, and not just her, but a, a large number of the commercial investors there. What I what I found fascinating. You know, if you're if you're at Silicon Valley Bank, you're kind of in your you're the leadership there. You have to be as of you know Friday afternoon. You have to be scratching your head at what happened, because they were not really in trouble. They had to sell some of their stock because they had overinvested in in uh, low interest rate stuff and had locked in on low interest rate stuff, and as inflation you know, exploded. They were they were getting hammered, and they said, "All right, we got to sell some stock." And then, I mean, I remember I was reading a Twitter feed about this. The the this this guy, you know, who has like two startup businesses with you know millions of dollars in the bank account, he suddenly gets a phone call from one of his friends, yeah, who said, "Get your money out now." Which is that's exactly where I'm heading. Well, we always you always and then and then it's this it's this complete mass lemming panic it looked you, you, you remember a wonderful life right i was gonna say it's just like the movie yeah where the people all storm the bank lobby demanding their money out now and and i i i was astounded because i was thinking to myself as i read the story these are sophisticated investors the surely they understand is, is there is there it, such a thing as a sophisticated investor now that people have twitter people i i i, I, I could you, you could start a company tomorrow Lose turtle egg factory, and if and if all of a sudden it catches fire, that stock will run up without anybody even caring what what lose turtle egg factory does. People believe. I, I, I'm sure. I'm sure that's right. And and you know, I, I to take us back to sports, you you see this kind of craziness in a number of sports franchise owners, and in fact, Denver's Denver's one of them, where you have money people taking over an operation, and and. You know their basic under their basic line is if we if we quote understand the money comma we don't really need to understand anything else about the product we're putting on the field. Or, By the way, it's or a the, very it's a very Harvard uh, view. Yes, well, yeah, a very a very a, a, a very uh, MBA view. Well, no, there was there was that was a a Harvard view that if you were quote a manager, it didn't matter it didn't matter what you manage, you were a manager. Give give Lewis Steel Company. He's yep. a manager. Give him a hot dog stand. He's a manager. One's the same. Give him a baseball yep. team. He's a manager. He's a manager. So yep. so and anyway, I I just I was astounded to read that. And of course, the the word of mouth issue, the lemming behavior yep. is just is just magnified a million times by the ease of communication. So suddenly, you have people texting their friends, "Get the money out now." And, well, the average, and how fast? How fast is that? You know, and that nobody's going to check. You get a message like that from one of your friends talking about the bank where your money is. You're not going to check. You're going to go, because you understand that there's a hundred thousand other doofuses that are getting you know the same message from their friends, and they're not going to wait either. The average, the, the, a very well-run commercial bank, and you know that is solid as all get out. Because most of your money, just like George Bailey says, the money's not here. It's in Joe's house. It's in Jim's house. Because that's the whole point. But I mean, if, if you were to ask just normal Americans, and this is something we should know. Well, this is not 
this is not brain surgery. I don't have to become a brain surgeon. That's because that's why we have brain surgeons. Uh, this is this is something we should know of what the basic how a bank works. I mean, we talk about it on the show, but I, I thought I think I'm I think I'm talking down to people when I say, here's what a savings and loan did. People in the neighborhood walked in, gave them their money. They got three and a half percent. The savings and loan loan that the mortgages in the neighborhood for six percent. The two and a half percent paid for the building, the people, the little league uniforms, and a little bit of profit. And it was a circular thing. Those guys sent in their money for the mortgage, and everybody credited the money to people's. The money isn't there. The a, a very well-run bank, any given day, has fifteen percent, maybe fifteen percent of the money available to be taken out. What I'm going to borrow from now. This isn't the same, Lou, as as a bank, say, Northern Trust, with a massive commercial stuff, and Citigroup, where if, if you are, uh, uh, you might have your payroll account, say, at Citigroup, and your some other account at Northern Trust. So the day of the payroll, you might take. I don't know if anybody's got a fifty million dollar payroll, but you, uh, fifty million might leave Northern Trust to Citigroup, and Northern Trust might actually be a hair light on their reserves that night and they're going to borrow them overnight from Citigroup back because the money went to Citigroup. That's that's how this this thing all functions. But does anybody honestly think, I mean right now everybody's looking at their bank wondering if it's going to be, are we going to have bank runs by Twitter? And are, and the people who start these things, the Peter Thiels of the world, what are we saying about them? I mean these guys allowed 25% of the money at the bank to be withdrawn in two hours. I know. I know. There There isn't a bank on earth that can handle that. No, I, nor, I, nor should that, it. Nor should that's it. That's why. That's why I was astounded. I was. I was thinking, why are? Why is this? Why would you allow forty-two billion to flow out of your of your bank? Why would you not just put a stop to it? And and it it. Uh, you anyway. probably would have to call a regulator to do that. But but what do you suppose the the the, the I mean, there's. I was told sorry. There's a lady I've met a few times from the. But from but the, and so and so here's the here's the other here's the flip side of this, chief. You know, the reason these guys didn't react this way and didn't didn't respond more quickly is because they're incentivized not to. The the you know what happened was these are all major Democratic donors. Don't don't kid yourself. I mean, I think maybe maybe it would have been the same if if, if a Republican president had been in power. But with a Democratic president in power, there is no doubt those phone lines started buzzing to the White House to to not that that quick, not that quick, officials. not that quick. Oh, I think so. Well, I, I don't. Think so. I, think, I think I think that this, my friend, you, you can't have it both ways. You can't you can't say that the Democrats are so up on this stuff at the same time selling the people who are incompetent. I happen to know. I mean, I could walk. Oh no, no, this. no! I'm not saying. I, I'm I'm just saying, the the minute. My my point is, they're incentivized not to be smart because I'm gonna, they knew that I'm their gonna, friends in the government were going to fix it. My my view of this, Louis, is, I mean, it's a it's a bizarre view, and please tell me. If, you don't have a problem telling me when you think I'm wrong. There's a lady over at the Chicago Fed. I think she's still there. I haven't seen anybody there in three years because of COVID. A dime didn't get out of that place or through that place without her knowing about it. She was like Chloe in, in 24 hours or 24. She knew everything. I guarantee you that lady at two minutes after nine knew there was a problem at that bank, and she's in Chicago because she's seeing the wires fly. Sure. Now the question is, is there anybody even around for her to tell in the Chicago bank that knows how to make a decision? Are they all working for home? Or are they all just a bunch of political hacks? Now, where, where does she go with that information? I bet. I bet there's not a. You, I bet she couldn't get a decision on anybody. I don't care who is president. Solomon could be president. She couldn't get a decision on any, anybody in this bureaucratic, screwed up world we're in. 
in two hours if her life depended on it. At that at that level, that's probably correct. Well, that's a problem, right? Well, well, no, because because well, so it, the, it happened fast. You said we should have stopped it. Okay, how you gonna do it? Oh no, I'm 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 just I'm just saying that they were. I'm not saying that. No, you're, you're, I'm sorry. I wasn't I wasn't clear. These people were not incentivized to react quickly because of the fact that there's they 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 knew there would be cover for them. Oh no! Or they, oh, they understood no. that there would be cover no, for them. No, 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 no. They, they, the, the, the issue. This is gets even worse because I don't want to take another minute here because I want to talk about Ukraine. Russell brought up something yesterday that alluded. I didn't know. That's why I, I love doing a show. I learned from you, you creatures. Evidently, if you're big enough, all I did was talk all week, and here I am wrong yet again. If you had an account of PTI, and you put, well, your dad's passed, but if he was alive and you gave me two, twenty million bucks and I put it in ten-year bonds. Or, or or twenty or thirty, and all of a sudden these things are getting priced lower because the interest rates are going up. That's going to be marked on your sheets, and your dad's going to say to me, "Hey, what the bleep? We, we just spent twenty million bucks. My account says I got sixteen. Okay, where'd my twenty-five go? Well, don't worry, <laughs> don't worry, Mister Michaels. Uh, in, in thirty years, you'll get your money. Well, evidently, Russell claims if you're big enough and you and your intention is to hold it to uh, maturity. You don't have to market the market, so that the the thirty year bonds or whatever these this bank bought is sitting on the on the and their capital is good capital, and as soon as there was a problem and they had to sell it, they they essentially had to take the hit because now all of a sudden they sold it for less than they bought it, and there's no way to hide it. And that's what started the thing. They sold some of these bonds cheaper, and they had a two and a half billion dollar hole in their capital, and they went out to raise some more stock, and that's when people said we're not. They had trouble raising the stock, and that's when Theo and a couple other guys said, make a run on the place. But, Lou, they could do that to any bank we know today. And if people listen to these guys, it could happen anywhere. And that, that to me, is really troubling. Really troubling. Anyway, what about Ukraine? What, the drone, uh, these things are like so, b- big planes, right? They're not, we're not talking about the little drone you fly in your backyard. It's probably about the size of a Cessna. Okay. So, so you know, uh, with a much better engine, obviously, and all the electronics. So... Um, you know, the rules are if you're in international airspace, you could certainly be intercepted. And in fact, when I was flying these kinds of missions with a manned aircraft, we were intercepted regularly. Um, you can be intercepted, you can be photographed. What they can't do is fly, you know, violate uh, ICAO, which is the international, uh, you know, the crazy international rules for, for airspace management. They can't violate ICAO rules. They can't come too close. They can't act in an unsafe manner. They can't. Uh, they can't deliberately try to provoke. And and so, I I, I'm reasonably certain this was an unintentional uh, incident, in the sense that the Russians were flying as close as as close as they could. They were dumping fuel, trying to dump fuel on the on the drone to cause its engine to to flame out or maybe set it on fire. And uh, the pilot got too close. Trust me, you you do not. If you're in a jet fighter or even even a prop aircraft, but especially a jet fighter like that, you do not want to make contact with another airborne object. You're surprised he didn't he didn't wreck his plane to the point where he crashed. He could have he could have he could have very easily. That's why I think it was a miscalculation by the by the pilot. Um, but you don't you don't want to do that. And so they were engaged in provocative acts. But you'll notice. 
you know, these are clearly armed aircraft. They've got cannon. They've got missiles. They didn't shoot a cannon at it. They didn't shoot a missile at it. They were trying to take it down without firing, you know, a weapon at it. Now, it's a distinction in my mind from an international law perspective. It's a distinction without a difference. If you act in a reckless manner, even with just dumping fuel that takes down the airplane or takes down the drone, you violated international law, whether you shoot at it or you you set it on fire with fuel or cause the engine to starve out. Now, when you say international but, airspace, I was mentioning this to Mike yesterday, um, clearly you're not going to be in the middle of the Black Sea because you can't see anything. You're going to be as, as close to the edge of international airspace as you can, right? Well, yeah. So so typically you're talking about a 12-mile 12 mile, 12 zone off the coast. If you penetrate that 12, you inside 12 miles off a, off coastal water or controlling controlling areas, you penetrate that that 12 mile uh, boundary, you're going to get shot down. You're 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 in violation of that's a that's an airspace violation. Flying flying along it, up against it. I mean, I I participated in missions uh, against uh, target countries where we were you know 12 and a half miles off the off the coast. We're in in international airspace, and they <clears throat> the Russians do the same thing to us. They do this in Alaska along our east coast. They would fly their bare reconnaissance platforms down our east coast just off the 12 mile limit you know on their way to cuba um so so this this is everybody understands the rules of the game the 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 issue from the russian perspective is i'm sure this reaper these drones are providing intel to ukrainians which is being used to kill russians and and we can do we can engage in this kind of harassment and we're going to push the we're going to push right up against the edge of the the edge of the envelope to see what we can do so the question now i think is how much and, and i think i don't think the biden administration has any stomach for this uh and and maybe they shouldn't um the question now is what do we do in response um do we do we for example one of the things we could do <clears throat> is we could arm the ukrainians with a long-range cruise missile set that would attack the airfield that those fighters came from and let the Ukrainians reach out into into the heart of Russia. Well, the people, and, the, the perception, just like the banks, perception, I think, of most people, and again, I'm, by Lou Coach, I'm not trying to put my own brain into somebody else's head, I don't worry as much about a drone as if there was a pilot involved. Well, clearly. If it had been a piloted aircraft, they wouldn't have done that. Um, but I, I will tell you, Chief, I mean, I, I was in a piloted aircraft. We, we flew those missions, and we were always told that if the if the Russians or the Chinese or somebody else, the Iranians, wanted to make an issue out of and, and send a message to the United States that, that we were getting perilously close to, to armed conflict, one of the first things they would do is shoot us down. Well, yeah, I would guess. They would, you know, well, my qu- kill. law question, if the Black Sea, I mean, it's, you got to get in there through Turkey, right? So I'm going to say it's, it's a smaller Gulf of Mexico. Are we happy with... Russians 12 miles east of uh, east of Florida, or we consider it sort of our pond. Well, we consider it our pond, and we challenge anybody that's in there, but we don't shoot them down. But I mean, you could so some guy could could fly around uh, Key West and come up 12 miles off Tampa, and that's still international airspace. Oh yeah, they did that with the they did that with bear bombers during okay. the Cold War. Wow. So it, they would they would come down they would you know they would they would come down the East Coast and they they come in within, I don't know, 12, and we would intercept them and, and look at them. But I guess, I, I guess I, somehow in my, my mind, I'm, I'm thinking 12 miles off 
China and the Pacific is sort of twelve is different than the Black Sea, which is sort of surrounded by all well, these people. But yeah, it is you're saying uh, it isn't though really. But the Black Sea is considered the Black Sea is considered international. The Russians, of course, look at it as their private lake. Can we can we get a navy ship in there without paying Turkey toll? Uh, well, the Turks have to close. The Turks have not closed navigation through the Bosporus. So yes, we 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 have navy ships in the Black Sea. But they, I thought the Turks, they to, they have a toll there, like the Suez or the Panama, don't they? Uh, I I don't know. I think I think it, I, if I were them, I would. Yeah, I think so they, they do. They haven't they haven't closed it, so we you know we can get it in and out of there. Please. All right, Lou. Thank you very much, buddy. Any skiing, or are you done for the year? Uh, I might try to try to get up there, maybe in April. There's so much snow up there right now, Chief. They're going to be skiing into June. Well, you guys are going to have some water. Lake Mead's going to go up a couple of feet anyway. We'll see. Yeah. SP futures down six. Nasdaq futures up 35. A mixed day. Be right back, Mr. Dan Janitas. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time to gain for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Something happening here. Well, no back, Saxon Jackson. Andrew on the board. SP Futures down six and a quarter. NASDAQ Futures up 34, sort of like yesterday. NASDAQ uh, actually finished up yesterday after we were really down yesterday morning, huge. 
uh, with the backstop of Credit Suisse shares. Uh, they're up here, but Swiss National Bank is going to loan them $54 billion to keep things current. And, uh, you know, we'll see if that's, quote, enough and uh, whether everybody's going to be happy here. Uh, we don't have any more problems. We actually have a regional bank, KRE, was, is that index. They're down 64 cents this morning, trading 44. Uh, but, you know, it's not, uh, well, doesn't look like you're going to 30 anytime soon or anything. So I've been kind of looking at some of the, the places that have been the most beat up are obviously these regional banks. And if you look at some of these oil companies uh, with oil down this low, I mean, anybody, you know, I'm sure as hell not going to tell anybody these are uh, these are buys here, but oil at 67 bucks is, you know, I, I, I guess if you, uh, do we have Dan? Yes. Oh, here, I'm sorry, Dan, I should introduce you right away. Uh, Dan Janitas, we, what do you what do you make of uh, oil this low? I mean, unless we really have a turn down in the economy and China has more of an issue, I mean, I, 67 seems a tad cheap for oil, doesn't it? I, I I would agree, yeah, and I think the I think the thing that's the most interesting here is, that, and it's the same thing as what what's happening with interest rates. It's just how quickly um, we saw this decline in, in oil prices, and um, we would you know expect this over a period of time, and we would certainly expect it. Um, it's really not what we expected because of the fact we were expecting China to to step up. Um, so there's some some mixed messages going on here. I will say that the concern anytime there's concerns about um, either liquidity in the system or about just a slowdown in the economy in general, that is going to cause a not only a decline in oil prices, but a decline in interest rates as well, which is what we've seen. And it's happened very quickly <laughs> yeah. in the last few days since we've spoken. So it's, it's, uh, it's a, maybe a little bit of an overreaction, but um, it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing from the consumer's point of view. I think it gives a little more confidence to the inflation picture. But in terms of what it means for global growth, um, that's, you know, I don't think things are as extreme as, as the oil price is reflecting right now. No, I don't. Uh, but, I mean, it is such a uh, boom and bust sort of industry. I know I have a, yes. a table here someplace that I'm trying to find while I'm talking to you. So whenever you're multitasking, you don't seem to do either one right. I'm trying to find the rig counts. I bet the rig counts are still going up because they they, they, yeah. they they go up and down on like a five year, uh, you know, a thing. And it's it's weird that people say even stuff like uh, you know, you know, Trump did this for this is not a, a, a Trump bash thing, but they'll say stuff like, uh, "Geez, you know, when Trump was in office, you know, oil got this and that, and all of a sudden this guy's in there and he's not doing anything for oil." The fact is, there's a hell of a lot more rigs because they they bottomed out under Trump when the oil got down to twenty eight bucks and everybody couldn't wait to get rid of their rigs. Then all of a sudden, uh, now they started to come up in the last couple of years of his administration. So if you were if you were some Democrat that just wanted to, you know, look at a commercial or a statistic and you know screw the thing up, you look at it and say, "Oh, gee, sure looks to me like during this guy's turn in office, all we've done is had more rig counts come up versus Trump's and Trump. They all he did was go down. So it turns out it's the other way around. Trump's an idiot and this guy's doing it right. Well, fact is, the rig counts were doing that because of price, not because of Trump, right? Right. Not. It's really not because of politics. It's no. Because that this is the cycle in in um, oil. You know, this is just and it, and what's really interesting is is having been a high yield manager for my career. Um, Dan Foster was the guy that that ran the group when I was uh, I was there. Um, he always had us looking at oil prices. So I've started since the beginning of my career watching oil prices, and they really do trade to their own um, to their own uh, beat. They don't necessarily follow. 
something that really, you know, a lot of it has to do with supply and demand, but a lot of it also has to do with what's going on in the oil-producing nations. Um, and as you're mentioning, um, rig count is, is often overlooked by, I think, um, a fair number of people that are looking at the price of oil. And again, there's there's all these factors that go into the pricing, um, but the pricing doesn't necessarily track, say, the economy or um, the, the market or the financial markets. It's it's a it, it's a, in its own world, and thus you need as an investment manager to kind of look at it independently. Um, there's another just as you would, for example, silver and gold, which we've talked about, and and now we've seen an, a little bit of a rise in silver, and that's why having exposure to those other industries is important. Having some exposure to oil, I think, is important. I don't think this trend is going to, is going to continue downward unless we are to see um, some sort of major um, recoup in, in, in inflation. But, again, there's a lot of factors that are involved in, in um, determining the price of oil, and most of them, a lot of them are beyond our control, and sometimes we, we're not, uh, it's very difficult to predict the direction of oil. But similar to other commodities, though, you've got to watch the trends um, you got to know where it's trading relative to where it's been, you know, within the last few months and within the last few years. And you, you do have to understand the macro environment, uh, where demand is coming from. And, and um, yeah, we're getting mixed messages from China, so that makes it, that doesn't help well, things. The, uh, when oil is, uh, when, when it's one of the most fascinating, when, whenever we, in grad school, whenever we always talked about industries that were fascinating, that were, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, competitive, which oil is, by the way, still is. I mean, uh, yes. it may, I mean, maybe there's there's bottlenecks within the oil system uh, in terms of refineries and maybe pipelines, and there's there's spots yeah. that can cause things to be not competitive. But by and large, it's way more competitive than just about any other business you're in. Compared to like, you know, pharmaceuticals and stuff, you're not on the same planet. And there's right. like there's like 21 countries that are ex- exporting oil, right? But not yeah. huge. And, and you're right, it does. And then, and then, then the pricing, you know, people remember, you know, what happened in, it was really March, and now what, is, is it just about exactly three years ago, right, when we, the, the beginning of um, of uh, COVID and, and the beginning of um, this sort of period of, of um, you know, world change, if you will, and what was going on to me that was most significant is what was going on between the Russians and the Saudis and, the, and the, that oil price war that took place that, resulted in this huge drop in oil prices and and I remember listening back then to um, you know it was like a Sunday right around right around this time of year you know, like almost to the to the exact date and and seeing oil prices drop 40 percent like within minutes and that, those types of moves based on say this war between the this price war between the Saudis and the Russians are really beyond our control I mean it's really difficult for a fundamental analyst to predict that or even an oil analyst to predict what's going to happen unless you really know what's going on in those countries and and a lot of this um, information comes very you know comes very quickly just like now even even this past week seeing this this decline so if you're of the camp if you believe that we're having a slowdown a global slowdown in the in the economy then that would justify it to a certain degree i guess but it still would probably come a little slower than that so i can't i can't pin the drop on you know the banks um, you know, what's happening to SVB and, and some of the other banks recently, First Republic. Um, but I do, I can say that it probably would be a scare, if you will, um, that we're going to see a more substantial slowdown. But it doesn't take much, Dan, in terms of, yes. a, of a percentage basis. Uh, I'm just looking at the, the, the uh, 
five-year chart, all right, and the uh, oil rigs. Now, oil rigs aren't the only thing that causes it. I mean, it was just, it, but it's, it's indicative of the industry. Uh, at the beginning of 2019, when again, I just just as a as a way of not criticizing, but as a way of of, of pinning the time where, where Trump was firmly in office, correct? We we were we topped out at maybe 860 rigs, right? So then immediately when the prices were doing their crazy stuff, they start coming down and they start to crater at the, at the beginning of 2020 from like 750 down to under 200. Now these things, you don't just shut them off. They they like sell them to somebody else, right? I mean they're 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 they're, 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 they're gone. They do generally get sold. They they do age actually, yeah. and the technology of these rigs ages as well. So there's they they do age, and then they become obviously less um, less valuable to to a potential buyer. But but most of the time, yeah, they're sold. They're, they they can be frozen for a period of time and sit dormant and idle. Um, and then they can they can be reactivated if the demand picks up. But the, generally, the, the oil companies have contracts, or the rig companies, I should say, have contracts, and they're usually for a certain period of time. And once that period of time is up, unless they get renewed, they're going to sit idle. Well, since the, the middle of 2020, when we dropped down to this, I'm going to say 195, it's been steadily creeping up to we're back. We made it, made it to like 650, and now we're creeping down a little bit. So... There's a lot more oil available now than there was yes. two and a half years ago when oil was down. Because it takes two and a half years if you say, hey, there's not enough oil. Look where the price is to get it back. Clearly, like when there was too much oil, it took six months for these things to all close up. So you've got this. Plus, if, you're, if, you're, if you've got 1% or 2% too much oil, with the amount of oil it's used every day, you're talking tankers backing up. You're talking. I mean, yeah, exactly. stuff starts. It, it's a real big deal. So people start dropping the price of gas, and it really doesn't. It's not that elastic on the price side. I mean, I'm not going to use. If you drop the price of gas for for uh, by a buck, I'm not going to start driving around the block just yelling whoopee. I mean, I'm. I'm right. You know, if, if it went up to ten bucks, I might cancel a vacation, or I'd I'd cut back, or maybe I'd even get a car to use less gas. But by and large. The difference of a few cents uh, doesn't really matter. So, you know, it's, it's an economic... The reason why I'm going down this road, Dan, is uh, the, the lack of understanding of how this works across what is supposed to be an educated economy. And now I see people's reaction to this banking thing. I am, I'm somewhere between stunned and horrified. Hey, let, 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 the, let the people over 250 grand, they picked the wrong bank, screw them, they should lose their deposit. I'm saying, you really didn't just say that, did you? I mean, what, what is the matter with you? I mean, we've yeah, got... Yeah, I mean, I, I, no, I would actually kind of agree with you that I think you're, you know, as an as a, somebody who, who wants to become a customer um, in these situations, you really need to, to do this background check. I mean, this is where your money is going to be held. I do think there's, you know, in the case of SVB, you're talking about a customer base that where there's a lot of venture capital, where there's a lot of startup ITs, and those... You know they're not; they haven't died. They're still there. I mean, those businesses are still there, but they're you know they're probably riskier um, customer bases than just sort of the average small business owner or or even mid-sized business owner in um, you know say another part of the country. But the other thing that I, that I would tend to agree with you, I think I know where you're going with this, is just the way the you know the the reserves are managed and just the basic knowledge of knowing that when interest rates are going up, long bonds, the price of long bonds goes down so it is not 10 year 30 year 
that uh, treasury bonds are not necessarily a safe investment, depending on what your time frame is. So if you have a five-year time frame and you're investing in 10-year treasuries, and the, the trend is that rates are going higher and higher and higher, which it has been the trend over the past year, you're going to lose money. And you're not going to be able to recoup that. It's Now, what we've been talking about for the past year are T-bills, and T-bill rates have gone up right. substantially. And from an income income point of view, you're, you're still getting paid more to hold a six-month T-bill than you are to hold a... And you don't have the interest rate risk. But even a, even a T-bill, Dan, I mean, you and I, we, we, oh, we, we, don't, we don't ever... Actually, you know what? Neither one of us ever really try and even give a little fib to our listeners. Dan and I will both say that if we if we say, I mean, I I do it for a lot of people. My wife, my brother does. We go to the auction and we get people T bills. And, and last week we got, or two weeks ago, we got people like five point one Dan, something like that, five point. Right. You know. But I'm not going to lie to you and say if we get it for you on a on a Monday and all of a sudden something like this happens and the price and the, these bills go way down, most people would say. You're getting it for six months. You're just going to get it for six months and chill. I mean, it, it's not like 30 years. But I, Dan and I both know that if, if you go and try and sell that four days later when the, the thing is no longer 5.1 and say it's 4.7, like in the last week, this crazy stuff that happened, you're going to take the, the, the 250 grand we just put in there, you might get <clears throat> 249 800 back, right, if you did, if you did it four days later. You're going to take a, a minuscule gnat bite on your butt, not not like if it's out there for for thirty years. I mean, but to, but to say that that if you, all of a sudden you had to sell it four days later, you don't have any risk in is is sort of untrue. Uh, but 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 it's it's so min, minuscule and six months isn't that long that you don't usually work paying attention to it, right? Right. But the thing the thing to remember is that, and this is something that's very it's not very intuitive is is that, say, like, rates have come down. T-bill rates have come down substantially. We were buying them at 530, and now they're, say, at 470 on the, on the six-month, 460. So you've actually made money in the T-bill. So you've gone from 5,000 to 5,200 right. or whatever. Well, I was talking, like, I was talking four days later. Yeah. That 200, and, and yeah. you, know, you could sell it at that point and take a little. But you're right, on the other side, they could, it could drop by, it's probably going to drop by 100 or a couple hundred maybe um, on a 5,000 or $10,000 investment. But if you're right, if it had been in 10 years or 30 years, it would be a lot more substantial. And the important part is the time frame to recoup it. Yes. Oh, because yeah. It's, you know, we could be in a period of extended um, higher rates, if you will. Rates could be higher for a longer period of time. Um, so you, there is a lot less risk. I do think that this is, a, this is a news story for a week and that we go back to we still have some areas of inflation. And I do think that we still need to pay attention. I do think we're going to see 25 basis point hike next week. So the the and I think that's what we would have seen anyway. So I think the Fed is going to continue on its path. This is just sort of I think this issue with the banks has brought some attention. And I, there's always this overreaction initially, and then when people realize, as you're saying, that it really does matter which bank you put your money in, you do have to do your homework and stay with those that are going to tend to be more conservative. Um, there, there is a differentiating factor here, so I don't think it's like the entire banking system going down. I think it's well, Dan, I, I, banks that have that have overextended and, and actually probably invested improperly. I, I think you know. Actually, we very rarely disagree. I we might disagree on this a little bit. That that's why we pay all these boobs that are regulators. And and oh, and oh by the way, if we had a banking system where over a period of five years 
not one bank failed, that would be a very inefficient banking system because you're, you're supposed to be taking a little bit of risk. And because of the way our economy shakes out, it's, it's very localized in a lot of places. So, I mean, if, if for instance, um, I'll, I'll just give an example. Is it Janesville, Wisconsin, uh, where they had the, was it a Chevy plant or was it whatever the hell they had up there? They had this big plant up there, and there's going to be a, a bank in Janesville that maybe have lent, lent out commercially for restaurants and whatever around the plant, and all of a sudden on a Monday, they say, by the way, next Monday there's no plant. Well, I don't, I, if, if, the, if the Janesville bank is doing everything properly, they didn't do anything wrong, yeah. but 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 they but they probably are going to have let's say they're going to struggle, maybe even go under because some of these loans are going to. That's when your regulators, the the Fed, which is the bank of last resort, comes in and says, "Okay, you guys need a hundred million bucks, but now you're you got twenty million that are bad loans. Guess what? Next week it's going to be Dan Janitas's bank. He's you're worth more than this. Somebody's going to pay the hundred million for all your buildings and your deposits, and you shift it around." And, that, and that's what regulators do, and, have been, and they've been doing a pretty spectacular job of it during my whole lifetime. I mean, but, but you, you, if you had a system where not one bank went out, we're saying these guys aren't taking enough risk, and all they're doing is keep, keeping people's money in the bank, they're supposed to be making loans. That's what they do, right? And not all of them are going to be good, because, because sometimes bleep happens, right? I mean, I, so I mean, it, plus I don't think every, anybody walks in with a first of all, you're not going to get the information, and secondly, how many people would you trust if if your mom walks into some bank and says, "Here's my twenty grand. By the way, give me all your 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 loan data and give me all your stuff." Right. What's she going to do? Home and, and go through it all? Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I mean, I but I liken this to something like Orange County when the treasurer was investing in the you know the county's money and you know um, in in what I would call um, investments that weren't prudent for the county, and that's what ended up um, causing the default there. And, and it was unique in the sense that, you know, a lot of other county managers were not investing their money in the same manner. And so that stood out. Orange County stood out during that period. So if you had invested in what was a, you know, a highly rated county municipal bond, um, you would have lost money, but not because it was Orange County, but because it was a treasurer who was making imprudent decisions. Dan, so you have you have I no. You get more to that than to 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 um, you know the uh, situation of just having a like a regional yeah. area that that's under pressure. But there are two different there are two different scenarios, and we can have both 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 scenarios can occur. Well, Dan, it's funny that we mentioned Orange County. I was working for uh, I was on a committee putting together a. a, a, a a publication piece for Nancy Sheehan, who was running for treasurer in Illinois. So I, I of course, got the job of writing the financial piece. And I w- went through the rules, and, and basically all you could really do, in Illinois anyway, was uh, was was uh, invest in U.S. Treasuries. I mean, as a, tra- as, a, as a treasurer of Illinois, that's all you could do. So if I was a treasurer of Illinois, and you were the treasurer of, of Iowa, we'd have a, a big martini bet every year as to which one of us did better, but it would be minuscule because right. you, you, you'd, you'd be buying three years and I'd be buying two, and that was the year that you were really smarter than me, and, and the three-year did better than the two, and the next year I'd buy the four and you'd buy the three, and I'd win, and we'd, we'd trade back and forth in our rate, and we'd be off by a tenth of a percent apiece. So I, I, these guys got me. Where they, got, they got me all these stats, Dan, and all of a sudden everybody in the country, everybody is making three, 3.1, 3.2, 
And all of a sudden, there's these two idiots, Orange County and Harris County, Texas, that are making like eight. <laughs> I'm going. Wait a wait a minute. <laughs> Dan and I could we, we we could combine our brains, have our best year, and there's no way we're making eight on U.S. Treasuries. Nobody else is making three. We might be good, but we're not that good. First thing that popped into my head is, what are these two idiots doing? And sure enough, the next year they both went under. Yeah, I mean it's 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 it, you know it, it, a certain amount of it's just I would just re- refer to it as mismanagement, and I I do think there's some of that going on here. Not maybe not totally but that's that you really need somebody in a position like that it's just the same you know would be the same thing with insurance companies when you're talking about managing the reserves of an an insurance company that you know you you do need they do need to be managed in a relatively conservative way and that means understanding the interest rate risk and understanding and and but on the other side i think that there's an issue going on with um which I've actually done some research on this week and, and um, to find out what's going on, say, in tech in general, because we hear about these layoffs and we hear about issues going on. And I have a couple clients in the Bay Area and, and just sort of hearing about um, what seems to be a, 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 you know, a challenging economy there right now. But the truth of the matter is these people who are, get, who are losing their jobs, there might be 10 other jobs available to them. Because they've developed these these younger people who have these great tech skills have developed skills that are tra- you know, transferable to other industries, and so they're still in. The, the truth is that they're still in high demand, and there isn't going to be you know on the employment side at least for for people with the tech background. There's not really any major concern. It might just be um, a little bit of a shift in you know a change in employment, and they're, and they're used to that anyway. So. So I don't think there's as much concern on the employment side. Um, the biggest issue that I've, I've also learned about on the employment side is, is affordability. Um, and what companies are challenged with is they have experienced people working on their staff, and they're paying them a fair amount of money. Well, years ago, those people, those you know older guys like us, would be they would be talking about a package to let us go, and then they'd hire you know in, in some people and train those people at a much lower pay rate. Well, apparently today there's no lower pay rate because the younger people coming in are demanding yeah. and can get those higher wages. So why not keep that 67-year-old um, engineer on the staff um, who has a lot more experience and you can pay him about the same, maybe even pay him a little more. I want my package. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's an option too, though, right? I want my I mean, package. Give me my yeah, million, if, my million dollar package. Then you have, you're, you're in a win-win. You know, you continue to work, and you're probably getting paid more for working fewer hours, and then you have the package as an alternative. So, it, it's um, it's it, it's the hard the hard part is I think the challenging part is getting these getting the younger you know getting that new blood in, and it's the same thing in our government too. If you think about it, we need younger blood. We need we need new. Younger people coming in that can replace some of the people who have had the experience, and there has to be some sort of shift in the way that they're compensated to make this work. Well, whether I think and young people should come in or not, to me, would be determined by the size of my package. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> true. <laughs> hey, I got a question for you uh, regarding. We have a couple minutes, but you know what's, what's surprising to me is, is is people bitching back and forth about the insurance and whether people. I'm going to say, uh, as you know, on, on the show, we always try and tie things together. You and I, I think, lobbed this one out there, I'm going to say three weeks ago, that I had heard something and you were commenting about it. In the last six months or the last year, uh, the San Francisco, that whole area all the way down to Silicon Valley has lost 
$2.3 trillion in home values, in real estate values. Now, I'm going to say that virtually every one of those things, because what Nancy says, I think what's a, what the highest you can go to Fannie and Freddie now is what, six fifty something like that, maybe seven. Uh, I'm going to say that these guys had $57 billion of mortgage loans on their books. No, nobody's, nobody's even sniffing a question at that. All we're talking about is the treasuries, but the mortgage part is way bigger than the treasuries. My question now is how many other banks out there are caught with, with these these mortgages all got to be jumbos. They all got to be held by the bank or somebody. How many other banks out there are reeling on this? I just gave a guy a million-dollar jumbo, and now the house is worth 600 crap. I think that they've got a problem, and this bank is just maybe the canary in the coal line. Am I the only one seeing that? or No, no I think you're right on, right on target on that. And, and, and what I'm seeing, even just from the, the people I know who live there and from my clients out there, that's exactly what's happening, that they're seeing a decline in their values. And that area, probably in particular, more than any other part of the country, maybe with the exception of New York uh, and Boston, um, the, the affordability just went to another whole level that we haven't experienced in our lifetime. Yeah. And the, the um, what do you call it, so the working base there, you know, tends to be younger in general. You tend to have younger people. So the affordability issue has been there. And for them, it's been very normal to take out these jumbo loans. You know, when we were younger, it wasn't as common. But for for that for for younger people, that's just the way they do it. And if if for some reason they're getting hit, and I mean some of these businesses are, they're not going to all make it. Then there is going to be issues. And you're right, the banks are going to be the ones who end up end up in the situation of um, potential defaults or or certainly um, a challenging environment trying to get paid for these loans that are you know. So that could be the way things go. I, I, I can definitely see that happening. Well, real quick question. We'll run over a second here. But, Russell, you and I were opining on Tuesday. Cause, uh, Dan gave us a specially covered for Brendan on Tuesday. Uh, we were talking about whether these people mark these, these – uh, it's hard to do on a mortgage, but uh, whether, we, whether they mark their, their federal bonds to market. And Russell uh, came up yesterday with his with – not a story. I mean, he, Russell <laughs> doesn't opine on stories – he said there's actually a rule from someplace, because he was on the phone from London, that if must be if you're big enough and you're an insurance company and you buy a bond, say a municipal bond, and your intention is, now who you tell this and who gets to say so, if your intention is to hold it to maturity, just like a federal 30-year bond, you don't have to mark the market every day or every month or every week. Where the hell did that rule come from, and, and who gets to say if you're big enough or whose intention it is. Obviously, these guys probably thought it was their intention to hold these bonds for 20 years, and guess what? It didn't work out that way. But right. Have you ever, you ever heard anything like that? I haven't, but I think the, the, the situation could be when you're talking about municipal bonds, if you're talking about the tax portion or the tax-exempt portion of it, that you're not going to have to, you know, say you're an individual who's doing this, and you're, you're buying a 5% coupon and say the, princi- you know, the principal value stays about the same, you're not going to have any um, tax consequence at the end of each year. The time you'll have the tax consequences is when it's sold. So you go years without having to pay tax, and if so, that's the only security you hold. I never heard. I've never heard anything about not reporting it, but but I can see that you wouldn't have to. I mean, you're not going to have to report it, say, to the IRS. But I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't understand not having to have a value for it on your on your books. Well, he claims you don't have to. You don't have. If you're a bank and you buy a 30-year U.S. bond and your intention is to be here for 30 years, and at the next year it's down 5%, you don't, you don't have to take the hit, 
on on your. Well, if, if, then it's then it's. I mean, it, but when it's unrealized, you don't take the hit. But once it's realized, you have to. Well, yeah, yeah. That's why it would be, yeah. become a much bigger issue in a situation like SVD. Yeah, or, except you or, you and I take the hit whether it's unrealized or realized on our sheets. Right, but the bank wouldn't have to. I yeah, this, I'm not that. I'm not. 100% sure about that, so I don't want to... I mean, either. Comment, but I can see that being an issue. I can definitely see that being a be, being a problem that would... Um, well, when Russell comes back from London, I'll make him show us the rule. Well, yeah, I would, I'd like to see that. Yeah, mate, yeah, we'll we'll dig that one out. Dan, thank you very much, buddy. Two times sure. this week. It was fun having you two times. Good stuff. SP Futures down one. SP Futures up 34. Fine. Hey, by the way, Dan, are these banks a buy here or no? I'm sorry? Are these banks a buy? I don't think so. I was the thing I was going to say is a buy. A high yield is starting to look more attractive because the spreads have widened out. So some of the names we've talked about, like the ADTs, were called, but uh, ATU, the the uh, Merigas, the propane company, you're getting seven percent now. Looks a lot more attractive than your um, than your you know four four percent. So, yep. you're, you're, so the, I'd say high yield is coming back in favor right now. That's where I would be focused. All right, we'll talk about that next week, buddy. Sounds Take care good. of yourself. Be right back, Mr. John Flanagan. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading options ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with their choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3000. 
708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen, Andrew on the board. SP Futures down 275, NASDAQ Futures up 25. We got the Dow Futures up uh, down 28, so we're mixed and near the flat line after a big comeback yesterday after the Swiss bank decided they were going to, I guess I'll use the term bailout lend, Credit Suisse $54 billion to, for their obligations. Uh, so uh, that crisis has been settled, evidently, or at least put off, let's hope settled. So that's uh, caused things to come back some. Our banks here came back yesterday. I guess they, we're down 80, 84 at one time in the S&P futures, and it it looked lousy. And uh, and we, uh, for those people that know, um, and uh, we do a protected program for a lot of people, not for everybody, but the people who want that. And uh, you end up trading a lot when it's moving like this, and you end up essentially when it was way down, you roll your puts down, which means you get longer. Which really means that you're you're buying, buying not not you know it's not like you're putting all your money out in a stock at that point, but you're getting longer. You're essentially buying low and selling high. And this whole mess, the last several years, where this has been happening, it seems like all these trades where you would never think about. I, I honestly would never have thought to buy yesterday down 84 points. It looked horrible. But we did our routine put rolls down, kind of held our nose, and sure enough, they were, they were great trades. <laughs> It's so. It's, sometimes it's nice to be in a in a, uh, in a in a strategy which kind of forces you to do the right thing. Well, in Europe, we've got the DAX up. No, these guys are coming back from a bad day yesterday. DAX up 76.5 percent. As the headline says, Euro, European markets cautiously higher. Credit Suisse soars after central bank backstop. And remind you, they were down 24 percent. Stop trade. Now they're up 20 percent. So it doesn't get you back to the same place if you remember your map. Puts the up 48.7 percent. Cat run up 63.9. That's the bigger, biggest mover. But Asia, Nikkei down 218.8 percent. Hang Seng down 335, 1.7. So these guys, like I said, they went down to 14.5 up to 23, 22.9 or something. Now they're back to 19.2. So they're heading south again. Uh, Shanghai down 36. That's 1.1 percent. Uh, it was a way of review yesterday. Like I said we came back. Dow stayed down 280. Well, that was Goldman Sachs. And J.P. Morgan, S&P was down 27. Nasdaq, however, did creep up on the close, up five points. Uh, bonds down four basis points, 3.45. The bond up 12, which is kind of ch- strange. They're going different directions. That's 2.24. Uh, Japan unchanged at 0.34. We got oil down. Oh, actually, it's up five cents now, 67.66. But it's gotten hammered in the last week. Brent down eight cents, up eight cents. Sorry, 73.77. Natural gas up five cents, 249. Our bond unchanged at 243. We've got gold up 240, 1933. Silver up 26 cents. It's over 1% move, 22.14. Copper up 2 cents, 386. Crypto uh, still rallying up 516. Bitcoin 24,889. And the US dollar is down just a hair. The euro at uh, 106 and uh, the pound to 120. Not much movement there. Andrew, what do you have for us? Traffic, other sports after all that stuff. All right. Yeah, it is uh, 739 here in Chicago on uh, March 16th. Uh, starting off with sports, the Bulls lost last night to the Kings, and in their game, 117 to 114. Uh, over to hockey, tomorrow the 
Blackhawks are, sorry, tonight, Blackhawks are playing the Predators at 7 p.m., and the Coyotes are going to be playing the Canucks at 9 p.m. Chicago time. Over to Chicago weather, it is currently 39 degrees, mostly clear skies. Uh, going to get a good bit of rain maybe later in the uh, late afternoon today. Uh, over in Phoenix, are 53 degrees, mostly clear skies. And they're going to have a high of 69 today. Now, for Chicago traffic, we have a lot, lot of red, uh, but especially coming in from the north side. And the Jane Adams, uh, both in and outbound, are pretty heavy out there today. Um, otherwise, there's an accident on the right shoulder of the northbound Tri-State, uh, right before 47th Street. And I mentioned in the first hour, uh, an accident on the inbound Stevenson, right before Cass Avenue. Uh, that's all I got. Back to you, Chief. Do we have Mr. Flanagan? John? Yeah. How are you doing? I'm good, and you? I hear, uh, I hear you got the call from the Swiss government, and you're up 60 spoo, and you're laughing. Yeah, I just, it'll take me a while to balance my checkbook after that, but you, know, you got to do what you got to do. Let's just say there's more in there than you had yesterday, if that's what you did. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, uh, quick 100 E-minis, up 60 points. That's not a bad day, even for you. Drop in the bucket. A drop in the bucket, yeah. <laughs> a pimple on the ass of an elephant. <laughs> what, do, what do you make of all this? I, I was trying was talking to Lou earlier about, and, and, the, and the people that I, you know, I constantly run into, my God, wait. Dennis lady who's asked me if it's safe to put money in her local bank and and now even even our, our friend Mike Murphy who I used to go to economics classes with and Mike's a real bright guy said what's the moral hazard of bailing people with over 250000 a bank out? And I'm like Mike we've been doing that for 50 years do you honestly think that that number that insurance is anything more than opiate for the dumbest of us? That anybody should anybody should worry about putting a half million dollar payroll in their bank? I mean I mean that's that's why we have regulars. That's why we have a Fed. That's why we have a comptroller currency for people to watch this stuff. And once in a while, a bank should go under because of stuff that just happens in their area or whatever, and they're supposed to take care of it, move them to somebody else, and nobody gets hurt. Doesn't anybody get that that's the system? It's not that this insurance, there's $17 trillion in deposits. There's $100 billion in insurance. Does anybody think that that has anything to do with anything, Jan? Why would not at they? all. It, it, it's always been, you know, a question of confidence, Tom, and not just confidence in the banks where you have money, where anybody has money, but in the whole system, because the, as you say, there's no way there can be any, you know, source of cash in the event of, you know, a series of events such as what we're seeing, and have everybody, you know, completely, you know, put back where they were. There's, there's not enough money anywhere to replenish what can be lost when these things happen. And as you say, bank failures have been fairly routine throughout our lives. They, they happen in clusters as they did but certainly. They, but they should happen. If they don't happen, right, it means right. that I, mean, you're, I, I yeah. agree. I, because, and there's enough, you know, but there's enough confidence in the system to know that even if there's a number of bank failures, and they were routine you know, in 2006, 2008. Well, there were two routines. Um, that's not, not enough to yeah. spoil people's confidence in the system. They don't all run and take their money out. But it's it's, it's confidence in the regulatory, you know, tricks of the trade, the, the fact that in the event of crises, there is a way of handling them. And it, it doesn't, I don't think anybody, if you had to really push them to the wall, they, they would have to admit that there's not enough money anywhere to make every, you know, bank account holder whole in the event of a run. And if if runs become routine, as opposed to failures, I mean, I think you got to keep them separate here, 
Um, we got a lot more trouble than I think most people can get their head around. But it's, but as long as you can keep some kind of confidence level that these things can be spotted and can be extinguished and that they're not contagious and it doesn't cause you to lose confidence in the people watching these things, I think the system you know will continue and it, there's no reason why it shouldn't. Well, John, you can a, see now there, there is a shaking of this confidence. And that's, well, sure that's there not, is. It's not surprising given how much else people are losing confidence in. Well, there's also people that they, they, they believe, I don't, I don't think they have <clears throat> the background and knowledge of how, quote, the system should work, <clears throat> which is kind of the argument you and I have a discussion we have once in a while. That's why I think no matter who you are, a couple of courses along the way in, in, in history and civics and, uh, oh, by the way, how the economy works, maybe everybody should have. <laughs> just, you know, just, just saying. I mean, uh, I, the, the thing that constantly, and, you know, and maybe, Jen, I, you know, I, this, this was my life in school for six years, and it's been my life since, right? But, but the difference between cash availability and equity are, are two totally separate concepts. When you, when you talk about a bank that has, just, just take a for instance, if it's, you know, Flanagan, Flanagan uh, State Bank, you're going to have, now you're going to, if you didn't, never gave out a loan ever, your job is to do, really to do, is to be an, a financial intermediary. You take cash from people who have excess, you pay them for it, and then you use your loan people and you go out and you find people that need cash because the people with all the investment ideas and, and the will, people willing to, to build the new store, build the new gas station, build the new whatever it is, they're rarely the same people that have extra money. So somebody has to match up the money with the ideas, correct? I mean, that's basically what the stock market does. It's what banks do. It's what everybody does. The plumber needs a new truck. Okay, he, he has to borrow the money because he hasn't made the money yet. But guess what? The guy's never missed a payment. Looks like he's making dough. There's somebody else that says, hey, if that, if that plumber, if I knew who he was, if I could get to him on my own, I might lend him the money myself for 7%. But since I don't know the plumbers and I don't know how to vet these guys, that's your job. Okay, so there becomes somebody in the middle that does that. I mean, it, that, if, if you can't explain the system from the basics, it's really hard when people start throwing the stuff at you that is criticizing this and tweeting this at you. That, that's the basics of the system, right? And, 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 and there's, so on the best day, a bank has maybe 15% available for people to actually show up and take money out, or checks or cash, because the rest of it is supposed to be in loans, right? That's, that's how it works. But now that, that, that splits off too, like an, NBA, like an NCAA grab. There's going to be, if everybody runs to the bank, okay, and, and tries to take the money out, and the bank shuts down and says, I don't have more than 15% of cash. If all the loans are good loans, somebody is going to say, I'll buy that loan for you from you. Here's the cash. Give me the loan. The loan's worth something. That's the asset, right? So now right. all of a sudden, the bank has more cash and pays the next group of people out. And then Maybe everybody's actually whole, right? But, but it's, there's a difference between liquid and broke, right? Yeah. The thing, Tom, I you know, I wonder about, it and I think part of the problem is people, even the average person who's interested in this stuff, from a macro or micro standpoint, has difficulty getting their head around, you know, what we've lived through, you know, the, the fact that the rates were pummeled down for so oh, long, yeah. oh yeah, and that that 
everybody's you know with with whatever confidence these agencies had that they could do that without raising serious questions about their intelligence or you know long range you know reliability people were stuck with it and these are the things you know i think make people lose confidence when they look back and they realize that whatever people are going through now you know bad or, or seemingly dire could have been prevented it was entirely preventable uh, for a long time and nobody saw any urgency in preventing it or you know shoring any any you know corner of the market up to make people feel better about it and there's been a the media loss of confidence political loss of confidence people are are overall so burned by without, without a doubt trust and and I, I feel you know one of the I mean it, it, it's turned out clearly in elections where there's so little participation in elections yep I think a lot of people don't think that the elections have much to do with them but I think a lot of people don't think the elections are fair John, and you, you and I, all the way through you and I in our lifetime and a lifetime of a lot of the people that are listening we saw the Fed basically well they were pressured by the federal government and by the by people in power uh, they pressured all during the 60s 70s into the early 80s, poured too much money into the system. Then they had to get a guy like Volcker come in and, and, and turn things upside down to allegedly fix it. And and all of a sudden there was there was an entire industry that that didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> Savings and loans. All of a sudden, an entire industry was put out of business by basically either the the bleep ups of the Fed or intentionally by Volcker. And to this day, I don't know which. They put how many people were out of out of work? How many people were able to buy mortgages at twenty cents on the buck? That became the the barons of the of the nineties and two thousands by buying other people's money cheap. Jen, we've seen this in an incredible incredible scale that that government bleep ups have have taken out people that have been no fault whatsoever. And I was mentioning to to uh, either Lou or Dan, I can't remember. I will bet you that the lady I know at the Fed over here knew it one minute after nine there was a problem with that bank, and she either didn't have anybody to call, they're all working from home, they're nowhere to be found, they're politicking, God knows where they are giving a speech. I don't think that people reacted quick enough. Now, I'm not saying if it was me what I would have done, but by the way, we should. if you and I are in that position, we should have once in a while somebody should come in and say, what do we do if a certain bank has everybody in the world Somebody tweets out this bank's no good, even though they may not, they may be good or maybe that little shady or whatever, but they're not horrible. What if they start making a run on this thing at nine o'clock? What do we do? This should be something we practice, sort of like an onside kick in football. We never know when it's going to happen, so let's practice it once a week, right? I mean, I don't I don't think that these people they're they're there for reasons other than competence. I still think the people down the chain are are exceptionally competent. To be honest, I, I believe that. I hope I'm not wrong there. We've seen this happen time and time again, John. Why and why you look at the people? Now, Greg Pappas is all over the fact that the lady was the risk manager. Not to mention she's an attractive blonde lady, or ten years from the Fed and's got a humanities degree. Well, he goes, "What the hell is she doing as a risk manager or an MBA or something?" It doesn't mean she didn't learn along the way. But you do ask the question: What, what the, the guy who was the head of the place? He was he was worked for the Fed, and then he was on the Fed board out there. But do these guys are they just faces that wander in the right places and get promotion after promotion, or they really got something? I, I'm beginning to wonder, John. Honestly, honestly. Well, you know, but there's a long, you know, steady history in the last 25 years or so of 
a building perception that the markets have been manipulated in a way to achieve political ends. I mean, crashing the market before the, the 2008 election made you know, Obama look better. And keeping rates low during his presidency gave everybody the illusion that things were chugging along just fine. And and this is this loss of confidence I'm talking about. It's like who's who's controlling whom and who's serving whom. It it makes it look to the average person. And it, I don't think you have to be really sophisticated to lose faith in a lot of this stuff. That there's people who manipulate this stuff to somebody's benefit, and it has nothing to do with the average person or the national health or financial security, or even just making sure that the right people call the right people when something like what happened last Thursday happens. Well, Jan, your conservative buddy. Economist Larry Kudlow, who actually is supposed to be a really nice guy, uh, he was on CNBC all the time during the Bush administration. And, and, and even near the end, when it was very obvious that all of a sudden this mortgage stuff was getting. We, we had a, a client here, and to talk about me being a, a dummy in many ways, we had a client here that had a something going on at Bear Stearns. And he wasn't my, my guy. My brother talked to him all the time, but he, he does all his own stuff. It's not like, you know. We, we know everything, what he's doing or anything like that, but he made a comment one day that he he had lost a million bucks in one of these off-balance sheet mortgage things that Bear Stearns had put together. And I didn't, I didn't even know there was such a thing as an off-balance sheet. I mean, here I'm supposed to know all this stuff. But I was, but I'm, but Dan, you know, I'm the straightest guy on earth. I traded on, ex, on an exchange floor where you traded with a guy. The trade went through. <laughs> there was, there was, you, you didn't, you didn't know. I'll put the, I'll put that trade in my other balance sheet. The guy go, will you say what? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't even know these tricks. I mean, I, I suppose I should because I'm supposed to know all this stuff. But all of a sudden, I, sh- I should have, I would have been a year early. I should have said, wait, w- what the hell is he talking about? And not asked him because it was none of my business, but found out. I, I should have been shortened Bear Stearns the year before. It are, but I'm saying our, our people knew this. Our Fed people knew this. Our, our, our SEC is supposed to know this instead of just bothering firms like us. They're supposed to know this. Wait, wait a minute. Who, what has Bear Stearns got to do, or Lehman Brothers, with this this, this off-balance off sheet stuff? Shades of Enron, right? Isn't that what they did? Right. Whatever they how, how did they not know? How did, now, either our people are that dumb they're that lazy, or they knew and they let it go and made money off it. I don't know which is worse, to be honest with you. I refuse to believe they're that dumb. Uh, unless, unless they are. Unless they're just a bunch of guys, left or right, that somehow make it through these, you know, they're, they're somebody's staffer, and all of a sudden they end up on the SEC or the CFTC, and, and they're there, and they think they know something they really don't. I mean, I honestly don't know, Jan. I mean, that's why I keep asking people on the show. They know more than me. I don't know. But all I know, they, they totally missed that boat. You and I had just, just like... Uh, you know, your grandmother, if she was still alive, has no ability to go into the local bank, even if they gave her her loan portfolio for her to go through it and figure out which are winners and which are losers. She has no ability to do that. I have no ability, even as a head of a brokerage firm and somebody who talks to smart people like you and the rest of the people, I have no ability to see a boatload of idiots, not idiots, some made a lot of money doing it, borrowing money in Japan at 2% and buying mortgage crap here at 65 How do I see those money flows. Yet the Fed surely does. The Treasury surely does. Are they profiting by it? Are they ignoring it? Are they don't even, they're too lazy to see it? I, I honestly don't know, John. Do you? I mean, what, what did you no. I mean, I'm doing all the talking. It, it, you know, I think most people, you know, look back and say, well, you know, 2008 was the tipping point when everything kind of blew up. But Tom, 15 years ago this month, 
March of 2008, my sister and I planned an excursion around the South Side. And I had, you know, documented where I knew family members had lived, you know, going back to my great-great-grandparents. Did you have a bulletproof car? Well, it's the sort of trip I don't think I would t- take today um, <laughs> without one. But back then, you know, it was this kind of gloomy day, rainy day in March, and I we were both absolutely stupefied because there were whole stretches of the neighborhoods we're driving through in Chatham and Chicago Lawn and Gresham, where there were all four corners of an intersection had apartment buildings, four flats, six flats, bigger buildings that were all boarded up, repossessed, foreclosed properties. And the neighborhoods by March of 2008 were by and large destroyed. Yep. And when you look at the depopulation numbers for the South Side, um, you know, after the 2020 census, it was well underway before 2008. What, what my sister and I were seeing was the aftermath of a, a conflagration that was yeah. destroying because of financial and some people Somehow or another, there's groups of people, there used to be a group from Ireland, that was constantly buying up all these properties and, and, and making a massive inventory. But get back to your buddy Cudlow. He was on CNBC all the time talking about George Bush and what a great job he was doing. He used to call it the Goldilocks economy and the greatest story never told because the liberal press was 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 not giving George Bush his accolades as how great the economy was going. Meanwhile, the the the, the stools, the legs of the stool were being p- pulled out by the month with the mortgage stuff, and all of a sudden the thing basically the bleep hits the fan. He goes off the air for a while and he surfaces as is Trump's head of the Council of Economic Advisors. Duh. <laughs> well, these, these people don't go away, Tom. No. And, and the Bush people were, you know, concealing the disastrous, disastrous effects of funding all these ridiculous wars that were still paying prices for. Oh, yeah. And, you know, but it was all, uh, this is, it kind of goes back to my point about building confidence. At this point, looking back, where does your confidence belong? Who, who do you depend on? Well, Jan, you just, you just said something. Lows. By the way, you just said something very profound, even though you don't know you did. Where did the where did the nineteen seventies and eighties inflation start? It started with going off the gold standard to pay for the Vietnam War and, and pour some money into the system. Where did the current fiasco start? It started with Bush essentially raiding Iraq and not and putting the war on a credit card and not raising taxes to do it. And just put money into the system and pay for it that way. Both both of our inflation fiascos started the exact same way. By they president. started because of yeah. bad investments. I mean, there were military investments. Yes. And you got people like Lindsey Graham pushing for the same thing again now, that we should start bombing Russian fighters. You know? I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I have, clearly, it isn't so much that people haven't learned anything, but they're getting well, you know, some kind of support for, for things that never worked very well. Well, there are two and issues. And you're, you're, better, you're better at that issue than me, but there's, there's two issues. One is, if Lindsey Graham... Who knows? Maybe he's right. I'm sorry, I don't think he is. I'm, I'm with you on this one. Maybe he's right. There's two issues. One is, should we essentially risk even more war with Russia? That's on, that's on number one on the chessboard. If we do, is Lindsey Graham, and I'm going to say he isn't, is he, is he willing to put a 20% surcharge on everybody's taxes this year to pay for it? Or is he going to borrow it or is he going to print it? And I'm thinking he's going to borrow it or print it. If, if, I mean, if, if Bush would have gone to war in Iraq with all his conservative buddies and said, okay, we're going to war, but by the way, everybody until the war is over 
be it a year, two years, three years, never, is going to have a 15 or 20% surcharge on their taxes, I'm going to say we wouldn't have gone to war. Yep, and you know, there's a lot whole faction, and there there was in the 1930s too, that you can build your way or, or bomb your way out of depressions, and, and you know, <laughs> you building as opposed to bombing, I think is something you should always investigate first. And I think a lot of people show that they've lost confidence in our ability to build really much of anything, and it's easier to just start burning up money again well, you can, in wars that we have no ability to fight maybe on, strategically. Maybe on, maybe on Monday when we have some time. I mean, you can, you can, you know, self-flagellate yourself and our actions during the Versailles Treaty and how we pretty much guaranteed there was going to be a World War II, uh, you know, with 90% of the oil on one side of the table when, when, the, when the thing left versus the other. You, I think we pretty much get we that the Allied powers guaranteed a World War II. Uh, that's not the same as Hitler killing everybody and not having to stop them. I mean, you, we put ourselves in in that place probably at Versailles. We and the rest of the Allied, but it doesn't mean when he started taking over people that we didn't we didn't have to stop them. We should never have allowed. Right. It should never have happened in the first place. But once it happens, you know I don't know what you do, General. That sounds like a, a Monday discussion, though, doesn't it? I think so. A little bit of history, but SP Futures now down 13, NASDAQ down 8, so we're leaking a little bit here after being up. John, thank you. Andrew, nice job with all the different stuff coming in today. Very nice job. Back tomorrow, Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.